You are a melody. I hear you all the time. It really gets to me. It's always on my mind. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. This is Doing It for Bartolo. My name is June Lee. Uh, on the show this week, we have a pretty special guest for you guys. Sam Kennedy is the president of the Boston Red Sox, and he was nice enough to let me into Fenway Park, into a conference room, so we could record a podcast for a little under an hour. Sam was awesome. Uh, he was uh, fantastic. And we talked about a lot of things. His his rise in his baseball career, he's now the, obviously the president of the, of the Red Sox, but that, the Red Sox are also the team that he grew up rooting for in Brooklyn, Massachusetts, also my hometown. Uh, and... Also, coincidentally, uh, Sam was also a high school classmate, same graduation year as Theo Epstein, obviously the president of the Chicago Cubs, and he also grew up next door to Peter Gammons. So Sam has had a pretty crazy life, and we talked about a lot of different things, in addition to kind of all the issues facing baseball today. And I think anyone who's who's a baseball fan is going to enjoy this conversation. Uh, funny story, when we were recording, uh, Sam's obviously a really busy guy, has uh, the head on show uh, at, a, at a big baseball organization. But we're recording in the conference room, and, uh, and and Dave Dombrowski was was clearly looking for Sam, and he and he looked into the conference room, and he saw me and Sam recording, and he gave uh, he gave me a very weird, <laughs> very skeptical look, um, laughed, and then just kind of walked away, which I thought was really funny. Uh, I don't know if that means we've made it, but hey, uh, <laughs> Dave Dombrowski is uh, has witnessed a podcast recording, so I, I think that's kind of funny. Um, if this is your first time listen to the podcast thank you very much for tuning in make sure to head over to itunes and check out all the, the archives to previous shows and uh, we've had some pretty great guests on uh, and we've had some pretty awesome conversations so please make sure to head over and check some of those out they're they're they were a lot of fun to to have those conversations and i think we've had some pretty great feedback on on a lot of them so make sure to head over uh to itunes and or the hardballtimes.com and, and check those out Make sure to subscribe to the show while you're at it so you can keep up to date with all the episodes moving forward. Leave us a rating, positive or negative, whatever. Just help us get the word out about the show. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at BartoloPod. You can follow me on Twitter at IamJuneLee. We've got some pretty exciting stuff coming up. Uh, I'm moving to Washington, D.C. this Saturday uh, to start my internship at the Washington Post. Uh, so if you enjoy listening to the podcast, please check out some of the writing that I'll be doing this summer. You can find that on Twitter or on the Washington Post website or in the paper, which is crazy within itself and something that kind of hasn't really sunk in yet. But uh, I will be in D.C. in the summer, hopefully doing some national stuff, probably doing a lot of other stuff as well. So please make sure to check that out when that starts going. And uh, that's just about it. And uh, without further ado, this is uh, my conversation with Sam Kennedy, president of the Boston Red Sox. Hope you guys enjoy. It's always on my mind. Um, all right, so I am sitting in a conference room at Fenway Park over in the field, and I'm here with uh, Red Sox president, uh, Sam Kennedy. Sam, how are things going? Yeah, everything's going very well. Thanks for uh, coming in today. It's good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. Um, just to kind of give you kind of a brief rundown of what we're hoping to do is, uh, you know, I, I've brought in a bunch of writers to talk about their careers and uh, and how they kind of got into baseball and got into sports in general and, mm -hmm. and talk about how they uh, have gotten to where they are today. And obviously you are the president of the Boston Red Sox, which is your hometown. We're both from Brookline. Um, so I assume you came here a ton growing up. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Did yeah. you, which uh, elementary school did you Lawrence. go to? Lawrence. Lawrence. Okay. So I went with Theo Epstein. Yes. I went to Lincoln and uh, uh, then Brookline High School yeah. and uh, was with Theo Epstein. So 
Uh, we, we Lincoln used to beat up on Lawrence yeah. in baseball. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did you kind of get into sports? I mean, at what point did you kind of figure out that this was uh, a career path that you wanted sure. to take? Sure. Well, probably like you, you know, growing up in Brookline, being a mile from Fenway Park, I uh, was obviously a huge Red Sox fan, fell in love with the ballpark itself, came here uh, night in and night out. I was very fortunate. My father um, didn't have season tickets, but he had something uh, even better, which was a clergy pass. He was an Episcopal <laughs> clergyman, and that allowed him to get in with a guest for $2.00. Uh, back in the 70s and 80s. So we would come and typically stand in Section 25. And when I got a little bit older, 7th, 8th grade, I would start coming on my own because mm-hmm. I recognized the guys at the gate. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the 4th or 5th inning, I'd be sneaking down into field box seats and, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, for uh, for $2, which was a pretty good deal. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I fell in love with uh, the Red Sox and Fenway at a young age and um, played sports at Brookline High, but recognized early on that uh, sports uh, on the field or on the ice would not be uh, long term for me. So sure. Uh, went to, to school in Hartford, Connecticut after that and started uh, pursuing internships. And mm-hmm. that was really the big uh, break was recognizing that at a young age I could get in uh, into a professional sports organization yeah. as a college intern. That was the first step. I want I want to touch on the Brookline stuff a bit. I, yeah. I was talking to Peter Gammons once and I was talking to him about you and he said that he, you know you guys were neighbors growing up and so you know you guys would talk all the time about baseball and sports. What was that like? Oh Well, that was uh, probably the biggest break uh, I should have back up to that uh, 1983 or four or so uh, Peter and Gloria Gammons moved in next door to my parents so um, I uh, actually was incredibly inspired as a very young person to see uh, uh, Peter going to work at a ballpark every day and so sure. that sort of opened my mind to the possibility that you could uh, do something that you love and work in an environment like Fenway Park uh, and actually get paid for it. Uh, so Peter was incredible uh, in terms of encouraging me uh, and Theo and others uh, in, in Brookline whose family he's, he, families he'd gotten to know um, so that was very, very special, great uh, time. And uh, Peter never, uh, uh, you know, uh, forced anyone or said, you know, you need to hire this person or anything like that. But he opened up doors uh, but through making connections. And back in those days, it was the 1980s, you know, we wrote letters and yeah. uh, we were able to get addresses and things like that from Peter. So he was very helpful to both me and Theo. Do you have any good Peter Gammons anecdotes? <laughs> well, there's uh, a lot. I just remember him, uh, you know, he is a relentless religious uh, runner uh, and every day I mean he would go out you know early in the morning and you know I'd see him coming back on my way to school or you know on the way to uh, a job or wherever I was going he, he was uh, every single day he would run and now he still to this day uh, walks miles and miles but uh, he's working running shoes yeah he does and he is uh, he is an avid runner he's a huge baseball fan but I think he actually knows more about music uh, than he does about baseball I remember him telling me the first piece he ever wrote that got published was on Steve Winwood, uh, which is pretty cool. So he he's a uh, Renaissance man and uh, just a great advocate for uh, baseball and also for young people trying to get into baseball into sports, which is very cool. Yeah. That's rare that people sort of pay it forward and help others as they're trying to get in. Yeah, and I think the, the incredible thing about him is that he's he's still going at it at a, on a daily basis. He's you know, well, what's what's uh, what's great about that, and uh, for so many of us, whether it's uh, you know John Henry, Tom. Warren, 
corner, you know, our ownership or whether it's uh, people in the front office like a Dave Dombrowski or Mike Hazen or um, myself, it, you know, we have a passion for this. And if you're yeah. passionate about what you do, uh, you really never want to stop because it really doesn't feel like work uh, because you're, you're in an industry, in a field that really is part of who you are. It's not just a job. It's really your passion. And that's uh, what I would recommend to anyone, uh, you know, any young person thinking about what they want to do, pursue your passion, forget about money, forget about title, status, none of that matters. If you're doing something that you really enjoy, you really love, uh, all the other stuff will come and, and you'll be very happy as opposed to just working in a job that uh, isn't too exciting. I think it's really fascinating that both you and Theo kind of came up through the same time uh, in Brookline High School. Uh, yeah. Were you guys the same year? We were. We were both uh, class of uh, 1991 okay. along with his brother Paul, his twin, right. twin brother Paul. Social, that, yeah, he's the better half, I call <laughs> Polly, and uh, Polly's wife, Saskia. Uh, was also there at Brookline with us, and we were uh, we're all very close friends. Our fathers, Theo's dad Leslie, and my dad Tom, are, are really good friends uh, to this day. What was that relationship like? You know, were you, did you guys both know that you wanted to go into baseball back then? You know, it's interesting. We um, we both were uh, passionate um, baseball fans. Theo was a uh, a very good soccer player. Uh, I was a ice hockey and baseball player. Theo was soccer and, and baseball. Um, we were both, uh, I would say, average to below average uh, players, but we both really had a passion for baseball and for Fenway specifically. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard not to. Yeah, up growing up around here, exactly. And um, I'm not sure that we uh, knew you know, exactly the path that we would take, but we both had a passion for it. And I was very, very inspired uh, by uh, Theo's ability to land an internship after our freshman year in college. We were obviously close friends in high school and stayed in touch. He was at Yale. I was at Trinity. And Larry Lucchino had the uh, incredible vision and good judgment to hire Theo after his freshman year. Uh, so it was after my freshman year as well. And I remember uh, thinking, wow, I'm going to work uh, as a camp counselor this summer uh, just to make some money. Uh, and Theo's going to uh, pursue an internship at the Baltimore Orioles. Right. And that was very inspirational. Uh, so that really set the course for me to sort of pick Theo's brain. He introduced me to Larry Lucchino, to Charles Steinberg, other folks in the Orioles front office. Uh, and I was lucky enough, I wrote every single major league team and I was able to land an internship with the New York Yankees. Of course, <laughs> I would have cut my uh, left arm off to work uh, here as an intern, but sure. uh, I didn't hear back from the Red Sox. Uh, uh, but I, I was uh, lucky enough to get an opportunity with a gentleman named Jack Lawn at the New York Yankees, and uh, I'm forever grateful to him for opening that door and providing me that uh, that opportunity. Do you have any good stories about Theo growing up that, uh, <laughs> that nobody else knows about? Uh, yeah, well, there are. Uh, there's too many to mention, given we were... Uh, Just give me know, one. Give me the best one. Yeah, well, I would say we came to uh, the baseball uh, bean pot here at Fenway one time. There was probably a couple thousand people, and uh, we were uh, roughhousing out in uh, the right field seats. And I remember standing up, and we were kind of challenging each other, you know, in high school, pushing, shoving each other. And uh, I thought we were done. We had been scuffling over, a, I think it was a foul ball that came near us. And I was standing up um, uh, in the uh, uh, loge box seats, uh, actually on the, the, the chair, which you're not supposed to do. And I remember turning around and Theo gave me the ultimate cheap shot. He just pushed me down about uh, over about three rows of uh, chairs. I got up uh, bloodied, bruised, and literally chased him out of Fenway, uh, about halfway up Beacon Street, uh, up to Parkman Street, to where he's uh, he, he's from. And so we were, you know, just uh, idiot uh, high school kids. But we had a lot of fun. Um, we loved, you know, we played freshman baseball together, JV baseball together, then varsity baseball. Uh, he was a crafty little pitcher.
pitcher, um, and I was a position player. So we always got along really well, and um, we were all uh, very close. It was a, a close-knit uh, group of guys that uh, did a lot of things. We had fantasy baseball uh, sure. leagues together. and um, But we were really more focused on playing at that time yeah. uh, because we were so passionate about it. Um, the Brookline High hockey team, uh, I'm proud to say, went to the state championship that year. So my fondest memory from high school is playing at the old Boston Garden in the state hockey yeah. championship. We lost to Barnes to Bowl, but uh, the game was actually on Nesson. So one of these days, I need to go back and find it somehow. I mean, it must be it must have been really beneficial for you to have someone like Theo to, you know, you guys are both in very high positions now. You know, he's the president yep. of the Cubs, and yep. you, you're the president of the Red Sox, and that's yep. that's kind of crazy. Yeah, it, it, you know, we're both uh, very very fortunate. First and foremost, um, you know, both of us owe a deep debt of gratitude to our parents because, um, you know, it's not as if we uh, grew up uh, with parents who were, um, you know, friends with uh, owners of baseball teams or executives of baseball teams, but they both sets of, of parents uh, encouraged us to pursue our passion and we. We both had this passion for uh, for baseball, and in my case, I had much more of a passion for the sort of behind the scenes business mm-hmm. uh, side of baseball. Um, I love the game, I love the sport on the field, but I wasn't as interested in the scouting and player development aspects. I was much more interested in sort of the business and how the the whole operation works, how sort of what happens on the field actually comes together behind the scenes from a business perspective. Theo was always much more interested in the baseball operation, scouting, player development, um, trades, working on payroll, figuring out, you know, how the the portfolio of assets on a roster works. Um, So he really grew up through the ranks of uh, baseball operations. Uh, Larry, of course, bringing him into San Diego and then taking, or excuse me, Baltimore, and then bringing with him out to San Diego. And then Larry hiring me to go out in San Diego to work in the corporate sponsorship department uh, was great. So we both had Larry as a mentor, but also a lot of other mentors, uh, specifically Theo, really had Kevin Towers as his uh, baseball ops mentor. And I had a guy named Mike D as a business mentor uh, at the Padres. And that was really helpful to have a few mentors and then to have each other to have fun and bounce ideas off of we you know the time when we worked together in San Diego and Boston was very very special having uh, grown up together what are some of your your fondest memories kind of growing uh you know going because being a young person in, in baseball and yeah. uh, starting off your career. Yeah, I'd say the, the time in San Diego from uh, 1996, from the time that uh, I arrived out there until uh, 2000, 2001, was extremely special. Uh, I did, just got married, uh, uh, you know, living in Pacific Beach, uh, you know, with no kids and no real responsibilities, yeah. uh, spending uh, just immersing myself into the career and um, spending a lot of time working working on trying to get a new ballpark for San Diego, watching Larry Lucchino, uh, Charles Steinberg, Mike D, all these great uh, baseball executives at work campaigning for a new ballpark and playing a small part in that was was, was terrific. And then uh, 1998, the Padres actually went to the World Series. So combining uh, the, the political side, the business side, and the baseball operations piece all together uh, was, uh, was great uh, for me to learn. And, and really, um, you know, again, Larry sort of teaching us that you can't just focus on the baseball operation. You can't just focus on business or the community or politics. It all has to work together. Uh, and so uh, everyone starts in, in, in 
in one area, but as you as you go up through an organization, you have to broaden your skill sets and make sure that you're placing equal emphasis on each area of the operation because it takes a whole organization working together to win a World Series or sure. to preserve Fenway Park or to build a new ballpark. Uh, so th- that's that's really uh, important as we move forward here at, at Fenway. Well, what, what was the the biggest mistake that you made at a young age? Uh, when it came to you know just working in baseball, that, that's easy. My uh, my dad always told me from the time uh, 1993, my first year as an intern with the um, New York Yankees, he said, "Keep a diary, write this stuff down," because the stories were just um, you know almost not to be believed. You know, having Joe DiMaggio, you know, be uh, uh, you know to, to work with him on Old Timers Day at Yankee Stadium and um, uh, I screwed up the order of introductions he always goes last and uh, one day I had Reggie Jackson being introduced after uh, Joe DiMaggio which is a huge mistake never <laughs> never do that uh, and I heard from Joe D and I remember calling my dad who grew up a Yankee fan uh, telling him that and you know he said, you got to write this stuff down and I didn't of course I didn't listen to my father I wish I had a lot of these uh, memories um, and but you know, other than that, look, you make a ton of mistakes along the way. Sometimes um, that is the best way to learn from uh, from through your careers to make mistakes. But if you work in an environment where you have entrepreneurial leaders and big idea people who have had success, they're very secure, I think, in their own uh, abilities. And, and uh, working for someone like John Henry, working for Tom Werner, working for Larry, working for a Mike D, um, I think Theo and I will both tell you that um, we were always encouraged and remain encouraged to try new things, to be bold, do new and different things, whether it's playing outdoor ice hockey at Fenway Park or doing skiing and snowboard jumping at Fenway or taking a different approach to baseball ops the way uh, Theo did when we first got here in 2002. Um, that really shows courage and, and leadership uh, from the people that we've worked for. So huge credit uh, to them for all the success that uh, that we had out in San Diego and then here in Boston. I mean, it sounds like Larry Lucchino has been a pretty big mentor figure for you over the last you know however many years absolutely yeah um, yep how how has he kind of helped guide you along and, and you know you're the president of the red sox now he's clearly yeah the right. no question well you know look you have um you have a lot of mentors along the way and and um from your your friends your you know i consider um you know people that uh, i went to college with that are in other industries mentors and jay monahan for example is one of my uh, closest friends at trinity college he's uh, next in line uh, hopefully and knock on wood to succeed Tim Fincham as the commissioner of the PGA Tour. Even though we were about the same age, I consider him a mentor for his humility, his leadership, uh, his honesty, his work ethic. Um, but when it comes to my professional life, having been with the San Diego Padres under Larry and then at the Red Sox under Larry, uh, he sort of led the way with um, well, with work ethic. Uh, he always wanted to you know work outwork the competition, make sure he was doing everything he possibly could in terms of the hours he put in. Um, focusing on the little things and the big things, uh, reading the documents, not just assuming something to be true. That was the lawyer in him. Um, so there's just so many things that uh, that we all sort of take away from Larry. But you also have to have your own style, you know, given – the nature of sort of my background, I'm um, much more, and Larry will acknowledge this, I'm much more of a people person. Uh, Larry <laughs> will tell me, you know, ah, you don't always have to go to lunch with someone else. It's okay to go to lunch alone and read the New York Times, you know. So we're very different people. Um, 
but I've learned uh, so much from him. And, um, and also, you know, as you get closer to uh, your ultimate bosses, uh, John Henry and Tom Werner, I've learned so much about entrepreneurship from them and sort of visionary leadership where they, they, these are big idea uh, guys who have created companies of enormous value because of their ideas, their ability and willingness to take risks. Um, and that's a very different skill set and something that's important as you go along in business. I've always been in management kind of in the operating function. Um, but as you work more closely with uh, very successful entrepreneurs in sports and business, uh, you get a real appreciation for the courage that it takes to do uh, what uh, John Henry did, for example, launching his, um, his fund his fund of funds uh, back uh, many, many years ago and being wildly successful, taking a chance, investing a 1% stake in the New York Yankees, uh, then switching to the Florida Marlins and then coming to the Red Sox and buying Liverpool Football Club. And so uh, the same is true for Tom with the risks he took in television. And so you have to take a lot of risk for, for there to be high reward. And that's something that I admire. We'll get back to Sam in just one second. But first, a word from our friends over at SeatGeek. If you've ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online, I've been there. Most sites make it really complicated and try to sneak in huge fees at checkout to jack up the price. And that's why you need to try out SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to when I look for tickets to a game or concert. They've taken on all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you can have uh, safe time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better, every single ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on its value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price, and unlike StubHub, SeatGeek always shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Listeners to Doing It For Bars are looking at a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. In order to do that, make sure to download the free SeatGeek app, Go to the settings tab, click add a promo code, and enter promo code Bartolo. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. So make sure to head over to SeatGeek, uh, download the free SeatGeek app, and enter the promo code Bartolo in order to get uh, your $20 rebate. Make sure to head over and support SeatGeek. They, they're supporting the show, and they're making all of this possible. So thanks to SeatGeek, uh, and I really, really appreciate them uh, helping out the show uh and without further ado back to sam kennedy i think something that's interesting that you touched on is that like as as you kind of move up the the food chain uh in the baseball hierarchy uh all these skills that you need uh in, biz- in business and baseball in, in just being a people person being a leader uh, they start to to come together um at a certain point uh, i think it's interesting uh do you think the the goals of the Red Sox as a baseball team and the goals of the Red Sox as a business. Because that's what this is. Baseball is a business at the end of the day. And that, that's something that I think a lot of people have a hard time grasping. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you think those, those – I mean, how often are those goals diametrically opposed to each other? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think they're, um, they're really aligned because you can have the greatest salespeople in the world, the greatest marketing people in the world. Uh, I learned this at a very early age working for the New York Yankees. Uh, my first job was in the ticket office. If you're not putting a compelling product on the field, if you're not committed to winning, um, there, there is no business. Uh, and, you know, winning drives fan interest, which drives 
revenue, which allows you to reinvest that revenue into, back into the product. So um, they really do go together. I would say it's, it's winning on the field. It's, it's having a great venue experience. In our case, it's Fenway Park. And then it's being very active in the community. You've got to have all those three of those things working together. And it's hard. Uh, it's hard because everyone in baseball is uh, very good at what they do. Um, teams are becoming more and more competitive. Uh, you can't just outspend the competition. You need to be smart about drafting and player development. Uh, so it's a hard, it's a difficult industry. Um, but at the end of the day, it does come down to the people in these organizations. So making sure you have the right people in the right positions uh, allows you to have the, the, the business goals and the baseball goals and the community outreach goals all aligned. Um, and I think that's uh, something that uh, we talk about in management a lot is just making sure we have the right people in the right places. How, how involved are you in the, the baseball operations? Yeah, so uh, I've been very involved the last uh, five or six years. Um, obviously, I had the relationship with uh, with Theo, the personal relationship and connection. Um, when he left and, and we promoted Ben Sherrington uh, to general manager, uh, he was extremely uh, collaborative, and, and we worked very close together in terms of establishing the budgets and making sure that uh, baseball ops has everything they need. And I see my role as very similar to what it was like when Ben was here with Dave Dombrowski. He's uh, also a very collaborative executive. So Dave and I talk every single day. Um, we work on all sorts of issues related to budget and finance. Um, but to be clear, as it relates to roster construction or judgment or evaluation of um, you know a, a certain player or, or, or making a trade for a certain player, the baseball judgment uh, is, is, I leave that to, to Dave and the baseball operations staff. What I focus on is how will these moves impact our, our budget? What type of uh, revenue uplift might we get from a 91-win uh, team versus a, an 88-win team, so on and so forth. So there's a lot of um, components, and they all go together. If we're looking at doing a deal to play um, exhibition games in Montreal, for example, um, I'll negotiate that deal, and Dave and I will work very uh, closely together on what uh, we need from a baseball operations side to make it work. So we're a very small company. We're only 300 uh, men and women, and so uh, we all work very closely together, whether it's finance, legal, human resources, sales, baseball, ticketing. Uh, we all try to work together on, on uh, everything. So um, I spend uh, a fair amount of my time in all areas of the, of the operation, um, but I try not to insert myself sure, uh, yeah. into that baseball uh, decision-making uh, as it relates to roster uh, or, or drafting or scouting, things like that. So when so, so let's go back to like this this past offseason. You guys obviously made a big move in signing David Price, who is you know the highest paid pitcher in the game. Um, how what is kind of your involvement in in, in a move like that? What what, yeah. are, what are the things that you're considering as the as the team president, as someone who's not involved in the baseball operations, hands on necessarily? Sure. So Dave, that's a, a good example where um, you know Dave and I worked very closely uh, in are doing projections on what that type of a signing would mean for the franchise moving forward, not just for 2016, but for 2017, 18, 19, and beyond. Um, at the end of the day, uh, John Henry and Tom Werner are extremely active in those negotiations, those discussions, and ultimately approving the recommendation of uh, management. In this case, Dave's baseball judgment and my business judgment on what 
it was going to mean for the team. Um, Dave, uh, in his uh, pursuit of David Price, given his uh, relationship with him, uh, I think was um, very wise to involve uh, John Henry, Tom Werner, uh, myself and four or five others in the recruitment process. When we went to see David Price to, to present to him, we went to dinner in Nashville, and you know we all went down together because we wanted to show David Price that we were committed as a franchise, not just the baseball operations department, but the entire organization from ownership to the president all the way on down. We wanted him, we wanted his family to feel comfortable in Boston at Fenway Park in a Red Sox uniform. Uh, so that, you know, in those types of, of bigger deals, uh, you will see uh, ownership and uh, team president, uh, head of marketing, Not business get involved. That, that's right. right. Yeah, it's a, it's a big uh, decision. So, um, but Dave uh, was the one who, you know, really said, look, this is the, this is the player. This is why we want the player. These are the, this is the baseball judgment the analytics and the uh, the reasoning behind going after a guy like like a David Price and um, so that that's sort of how it how it shakes out but any type of decision that big involves a, a lot of people um, how has your job and, and role in the organization changed since uh, you were promoted to president after Larry Kino's departure from the organization yeah well you know it's um, it's different in, in that you don't have that direct uh, boss that you had uh, before so there's obviously a difference in uh, reporting structure I report to Tom Werner uh, and John Henry um, on a daily basis instead of reporting directly to Larry so that's a that's a big change um, but in many ways it's the same because I've been within this organization for uh, 14 uh, going on 15 years so uh, I feel very very fortunate to have had this opportunity in a market uh, where I'm comfortable uh, in terms of dealing with um, city government or corporate sponsors or the fan base or the media, um, given I'm from here and given I've been around this uh, this uh, team for so long, um, many of the responsibilities are the same, but uh, you do feel a bigger sense of accountability to ownership and to the fan base uh, when you are the, the direct report to, uh, to ownership. So what is what is your daily schedule like? I'm sure not every day is the same. Yeah. But, uh, just a, a rough outline of what your day looks like. Yeah, it uh, it really is different uh, every single day, and and you also get into a rhythm with the season. Um, I'm here for uh, every single uh, home game, uh, so obviously late nights and weekends in the spring and summer months. Um, so I try, even though I've I've got young younger kids, so I take them to the school bus around six forty five seven, but I try not to come in by eight or nine uh, when the team's in town because I know I'm going to be here till uh, you know 11 o'clock midnight some nights so um, I'll come in you know 9 30 10 o'clock and um, typically every day we have a, kind of a communications meeting with uh, different folks in the organization what's going on uh, within the organization for that week and what happened at the game last night what do we need to do uh, for tonight's game um, what do the what do one of those meetings look like uh, well we sit around a table and and uh, we talk we have a, a an agenda and we talk about um, you know any uh, sort of marketing or PR issues Dave will give a, a baseball operations update at our weekly uh, management committee meetings um, talking about uh, injuries uh, potential 
trades, what he's working on, how the moves he's made uh, impact us financially, and then we'll talk about you know how, how we're doing versus budget, um, where we are on ticket sales, how we're doing on sponsorship. Um, so my each individual day can be very very different, uh, given that I try to focus where uh, the most sort of highest priorities are to make sure that we're uh, delivering on what we've committed uh, vis-a-vis the the budget, vis-a-vis our commitment to the fans, making sure that we're uh, we're, we're we're delivering uh, upon the ultimate goal, which is uh, w- winning baseball and and. and putting a great uh, experience out there for the fans. Um, so every day is, is, is different. In the off-season, um, it's more sort of normal business hours, uh, which is kind of nice. You sort of feel like you're on vacation, you know, working 8 a.m. to, you know, 6 p.m. as opposed to being here uh, late late at night. Uh, but you miss the rhythm of, of the season. You know, again, going back to 1993, I've only been in baseball. So you sort of uh, – your body clock gets used to that, that baseball schedule. Um, the off-season is actually busier because you're working on budgeting for the following year. You're worrying about what the team's going to look like. You're worrying about ticket prices, when tickets go on sale, sponsorship contracts, broadcast advertiser contracts, um, employee reviews, employee contracts. So there's a lot that goes on from uh, October through spring training that, that keeps you very, very busy. What was something that you ex- uh, did not expect going into the job that you've, that you've kind of, that has been spur- sprung upon you, I guess? <laughs> That's a good uh, question. I think the, um, uh, the um, dealing with the uh, more of the outside uh, world versus the inside uh, internal folks in the organization um, didn't surprise me at all, and, and I'm very comfortable, you know, uh, dealing with um, uh, the public, whether that's a CEO of a, of a bank who's your, you know, corporate sponsor, or, or dealing with uh, elected officials uh, working on issues related to the city um, for, say, events that we're trying to bring to Fenway Park or together. Podcast, <laughs> exactly, or, or, or members of the media. Um, but, you know, I, I personally don't believe that um, it's the role of the club president to, um, you know, be the sort of face of the franchise. I think really what the Red Sox fans, um, what we care about, I consider myself a fan, is the baseball. And so it's, the, you know, the players, um, the general manager, the president of baseball operations, the field manager. So I, I really think that our fans, for the most part, want to hear from the players on the field and the folks that are picking the players on the field. And that's a huge responsibility on them, for, for Dave Dombrowski, for Mike Hayes, and for John Farrell, for Tori Lavulo, for the players themselves. So I try to take some of the uh, responsibilities as it relates to that. John Henry, Tom Warner take some of that uh, responsibility. Uh, but really it's, it, it is about the players and the product on the field versus the uh, ownership level and executive level uh, folks that are a little bit more behind the scenes. You're the president of your hometown baseball team, uh, and I'm sure that's something that you got to you got to like pinch yourself sometimes. Yeah. Um, no question. No question. I especially having you know worked for the New York Yankees and and then been uh, uh gone out to San Diego for so long being on the West Coast. Never did I think uh that we would have ended up here, but thank God that John Henry and Tom Werner and Larry Lucchino were successful in putting this group together to buy this team. 
you know, Jude, I come in uh, every day uh, when I come into Fenway. It's uh, it's typically empty, and you know, you look out on the field and you look at the empty ballpark. And uh, I'm I'm telling you, without exception, every day uh, I just you know take a snapshot in my mind. I I really do feel uh, just so appreciative and so lucky uh, that I'm in this position uh, because I love Fenway Park so much and I love the Red Sox so much. So um, you know, it's been a it's been an incredible ride, and I'm really excited for what the next sort of era in Red Sox baseball has in store. We've spent uh, uh, the past two, since the 2013 World Series championships, we've had two down difficult seasons, but I think a lot of the work that we did from 2014 and 15 it's starting to uh, manifest itself in the form of a very young, dynamic, exciting team and a group of players that uh, we hope will be together for a long, long time. What what has been the moment for you where you like looked around and you're like, holy crap! I, I can't <laughs> believe I'm actually here with you know Yaz or something or, or how, yeah, whatever. That's a that's a a good question. Um, you know, probably because it's uh, more uh, recent. Um, you know, uh, just as as recent as uh, last night, uh, I um, uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, go and greet uh, Wade Boggs uh, in uh, up in a suite. And his numbers getting retired tonight. His numbers getting retired tonight. Uh, as a thirteen-year-old, uh, I watched uh, the 1986 uh, Red Sox night in and night out, many nights from Section 25, standing there in my father's uh, clergy pass. And, you know, last night it struck me, you know, here I am. I have the uh, ability to, to welcome uh, Wade Boggs back to Fenway. And, um, and uh, John Henry and Tom Werner and I were the ones um, who debated and deliberated the retirement of his number. Um, we got great input from a lot of people. But when Wade saw me, you know, he, he Sam, you know, and he was, he was weepy, you know, because it means so much to him. And, um, you know, that that's just uh, that's a little sort of out of body experience that this this guy who I watched uh, night in and night out and, and worshipped as a baseball player uh, is now saying hello to me, welcoming him to fe- back to Fenway Park 30 years later. Uh, it's a little surreal. And, and I never take that for granted what has what has been the biggest like pinch me moment like a, a moment that uh, uh, a you know a high school or an elementary school Sam Kennedy would have you would just like you would have never believed that you would find yourself in that in that situation it has to be the uh, the championship season of 2013 for me um, as incredible as 04 was you know first time in in 86 years 2007 was amazing to follow up uh, 04. But 2013, uh, being down on the field at Fenway Park, uh, looking around at, at just this incredible fan base of, of people. I was fortunate to have my mom and my dad and my son and my daughter and my wife and some very close uh, Brookline High School friends with me, some Trinity College friends, uh, celebrating together a World Series championship for the first time at Fenway Park uh, was just uh, just a pinch-me moment. And Especially in the wake of everything that went on with the marathon. Exactly right. And it was such a difficult year um, for so many people who were uh, impacted by those uh, horrific events And in April at the marathon. The city went through so much that that group of players um, felt that they could sort of come together and achieve something special they really did feel that um, and I'm so sorry that it was uh, it came you know as a result of of that tragedy 
um, and those horrific events, but uh, it was a, a special, magical uh, season. And that moment being there uh, with the commissioner of baseball handing us the World Series trophy was just, that was a pinch me moment for yeah. sure. What is, uh, as, as uh, I'm, there's a lot of young people who are listening to this podcast who are, who are obviously interested in sports in some way, shape, or form. Uh, what is kind of your biggest advice to someone who would hope to get into a career uh, in sports? Sure. Number one is, is absolutely pursue your passion, what you're passionate about. If that means, uh, um, you know, you're an Irish hurling fan, uh, go, go get an internship with the uh, Gaelic Athletic Association in Dublin. You know, if you're passionate about baseball, do anything and everything you can to get into an internship position, a part-time position, um, a free unpaid position, you know, work at a bar at night if you have to. I drove a, a limousine in New York City uh, when I was an intern for the Yankees because I wasn't making a lot of money working for George Steinbrenner at the time. Um, so pursue your passion. Be willing to do anything. Work extra time to, to, to pay, cover your expenses if you have to. Um, and then when you get the opportunity, cherish every relationship that you that you make, that you form, because you never know where it's going to lead you. Um, and, you know, it's sort of the golden rule, right? Treat people how you'd like to be treated. And um, those relationships that you form at 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, uh, if you uh, treat them right, will be with you throughout your career, and they will help you along the way. No one can do this on their own. So we've all had incredible help from different people along the way. Um, and then third is keep a, uh, uh, a sense of humor and perspective about all of it. At the end of the day, uh, what's really important is your health, is your family, your friendships. Because um, as important as baseball is, as important as the Red Sox are, there's been so many lessons that we've learned here. When you work for the Boston Red Sox, you're exposed to so many different things. People dealing with uh, fatal illnesses, um, people who are affected by the Boston Marathon bombings, people who have lost limbs. So it really does help you keep keep things in perspective when you're around uh, this great institution like the Red Sox. So keep perspective on what you're doing. Something that I think is uh, is an issue kind of facing baseball is the is kind of diversity, whether that's, you know, through um, race or, or social class. Um, and obviously internships are a really, really big part of getting a job, whether that's in any industry, you know, sports, media, whatever. Um, and lots of people, it's, it's hard for them to take on a low-paying internship. And as a result, um, you know, you, you might get a certain class of people who are just unable to um, give, a, give up their time in a way so they can pursue a career. Yep. Um, how... How do you think baseball is, is, is dealing with, with this issue? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's an issue facing um, corporate America and business in general. Um, but sports has a, a, a we're very uniquely positioned as an industry because there are so many young people from all sorts of socioeconomic backgrounds, all sorts of racial backgrounds, all sorts of different backgrounds who have passion for sports, whether it's baseball or, or another sport. Um, so we've worked extremely hard to create a very robust internship program where we hire um, many interns every summer, not only at the Red Sox, but at Fenway Sports Management. And we try and go out of our way to make sure we're recruiting from all over the country, all over the world. We have applicants that come in. It is, is very competitive. But you raise a good point about the, the income and, um, you know, not everyone can take a uh, an internship that, you know, uh, pays minimum wage or slightly over that. Um, in fact, 
fact, I couldn't when I was in college, and, and so I, I joked about driving a limousine at night, but that was, uh, that was true. I, I, I drove a limousine at night uh, when, the, when the Yankees were out of town and on weekends, um, and I actually made more money, probably two or three times the amount of money um, driving a limousine in cash as I did working for a baseball team in the summers of 1993, 1994, uh, and 1995. So, uh, but I was willing to do anything anything uh, to uh, have that opportunity. And so I think if you can get, you know, in the door through sending an email, making a phone call, um, everyone has someone who can connect them to a major league team, a minor league team, a football team, a soccer team. If you're really that passionate, you can, in, in today's day and age, you can look up the directory of all the people that Everybody's work. Emails online. Everyone's there. That is so different. That is such an advantage for young people uh, trying to get in uh, to the sports industry. But it is, it's hugely important that those of us in management and senior leadership are committed uh, to an inclusive environment, environment that promotes diversity, not just for the roster, the players on the field, but in the fan base, uh, in the in the front office. And the Red Sox, I can tell you, have come a long, long way from the days of being uh, having a shameful past. We had a very shameful past. Last team to integrate in all of Major League Baseball. Jackie Robinson that's right. and Willie Mays that, past. That's right. And we did not. And it wasn't until 1959 that we signed Pumpsy Green. And um, we recognize that to John Henry's, uh, Tom Werner, and Larry Lucchino's credit. They, they, they recognized that in 2002 when we got here uh, and tried to create a new culture of, of inclusion and acceptance. Um, and we, you can always do better, but I think we've made great strides in that area as reflected by the uh, product uh, on the field, the, the fans and the stands and the people in our front office. But you can always do more and you can always do better. How are you hoping to do more? Yeah, well, the, the biggest way we can do it is connecting to your generation, people even younger than you, um, because it's critical. If we don't connect to young fans, the industry is going to be in trouble. The Red Sox will be in trouble. So the biggest example of that, we've uh, started um, a free ticket program for any kid who wants to sign up for our Kid Nation program, which is free. You can get a ticket to a Red Sox game. Probably more impactful than that, we have a student uh, ticket program. I have, I very much taken advantage uh, of it. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. But for nine bucks, uh, you can buy tickets and, and, and come to Fenway and get in. That's you know sort of you know how I did it. Absolutely, and you know it's um, it's really important. If you can't access Fenway, how are you going to fall in love with the Red Sox? So um, you know you may live in the, the outskirts of Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Connecticut. So we hold those nine dollar tickets. We have them available. So come to Fenway. And, and, and come in and take advantage of it. And then we need to be really active in, in, in the digital space, in the digital world. I mean, I, I'm able to watch uh, uh, games streaming live uh, on my devices. We're working to break the logjam with Major League Baseball to get Red Sox games streaming in market. Um, yes, please. <laughs> yes, yes. And I, I know that's extremely important to that next generation of fans. I think we're close. Uh, MLB has made a deal with Fox to be able to do it in, I think, 15 markets. So we're hopeful that we'll be able to get something done with MLB soon, um, but you can watch uh, any baseball game anytime you want outside the it's market. It's it's really a great product, and you can watch Clayton Kershaw on any given night. Yeah, it's the best. It, it's uh, it's really important, and that's um, you know I know that if people talk about the second screen when you're viewing. To me, this is the primary screen. You know, fortunately or unfortunately, this is what uh, kids are using, and uh, so we need to be here. Yeah. Um, what do you hope to? You know, you you're now a little almost two years into the job. 
No, actually, um, I uh, took over for Larry October 15th uh, of so, 2015, so not even yeah. a year yet. So not even a year yet. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that got that timeline. Yeah, that's okay. But, uh, so a it little, feels like a couple of yeah, years. <laughs> I mean, a lot has happened. Yes, um, yes, but, yes. So a little over a year now into the job, or a little under a year. Um, what are you hoping, I mean, what is your kind of hope for the, for your position with the Red Sox, you know, over the next couple of years, five years? Yeah, um, I'd like to um, first and foremost um, continue to lead an organization that is going to put a team out there that, that all of New England can be proud of. Uh, and by that, I mean playing baseball in October on a regular basis, um, winning World Series championships, that's first and foremost. Uh, second, I want to uh, be affiliated with an organization that uh, cares a deep about the fan experience at Fenway Park and we really uh, create memories for for people who come here um, we want to establish Fenway Park as the preeminent destination for sports and entertainment in Boston whether that's outdoor ice hockey or soccer or ski jumping snowboarding concerts that's very very important to us um, and I also want to be associated with an organization that gives back to the community we've got uh, Red Sox Foundation that's given away 84 million dollars and uh, we need to keep that going and keep our foundation robust and our community outreach uh, robust. And um, at the end of the day, th that's really uh, what, what I'm focused on. That's what uh, the mandate that I've been given from uh, John and Tom, and, and hopefully we can live up to that, uh, that mandate. Fenway's obviously uh, gotten a lot better in terms of just renovation and just the, the state that it's in over the last 10 years yep. or so. Um, but the fact of the matter is it's a, it's a really old ballpark. Yep. Um, how many years do you think is left on Fenway's timeline? And uh, it's hard to like imagine it now, but like when is, when do you, where slash when do you think the next Fenway park is coming? Good, good question. You know, I, I think when, when we got here in 2002, we um, uh, gave ourselves about a two to two and a half year uh, period to study and examine the uh, viability of Fenway as a as a structure, as a building, sure. um, as a ballpark, and uh, John and Tom and and Larry made the commitment in 2005 that we were going to stay at Fenway and affirmatively uh, make Fenway our home for our fan base for the next generation of fans. So um, that's at least you know 30 years from sort of that point. We completed the major renovations in 2012. So I I feel good that we. We have a, at least a sort of another generation of, of fans that will be coming through uh, Fenway Park. And, you know, you never say never, but um, to me, uh, you know, Fenway is an extremely um, important competitive advantage uh, given we're located in the heart of the city. We're right in town. People want to come here. Fans coming in night in and night out, whether we're winning a World Series championship or two th in 2013 or finishing in last place in 2014, uh, we have incredible fan support. And that's that's hugely important to get players to want to come play here. Yeah. Uh, the intense nature of the ballpark is important uh, to home field advantage. Uh, and it's, it's just uh, such a part of the Red Sox identity. I'm biased, but I couldn't see the Red Sox playing in any other uh, facility, nor would I want to. That said, um, you know, maybe someday way down the road, um, there there could be a new uh, ballpark, um, but I just uh, I hope that I don't live to see that. I hope we're able to preserve and protect Fenway uh, for, uh, for as long as humanly possible so our kids and our grandkids can experience what, what we've experienced. Uh, what has been your favorite and your least favorite part about the the, the, the first drum job? Um, 
it's a good question. Uh, my, you know, favorite part uh, has been this. Uh, it has to be this um, uh, sort of rejuvenated uh, approach that's been taken on the field, and the, um, it's it's still very very early. I recognize that, but um, the uh, there has been a, a plan uh, in place around a lot of the players uh, that you're seeing. We've always sort of had the approach here that we have the resources to scout and, and draft and um, uh, sign players and, and keep homegrown players in the system and then complement them with uh, free agent pieces that uh, can help hopefully put you over the top to win a, win a championship. Um, that's an approach that uh, John and Tom Larry, Theo, Ben Sherrington uh, have taken since since we've been here. So uh, that's been the best part. Um, we had a great uh, off season with the college football games and the Irish hurling and the skiing and the snowboarding, and that was all a uh, very exciting way to sort of kick off the new uh, administration, new regime. But the the renewed baseball um, excitement has been the the best part. Um, the 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 worst part. Um, you know, there, there hasn't been too many uh, down uh, times yet. I know they're coming because I've lived through them, uh, just not in, uh, in this uh, role. Although we did have, have a tough uh, offseason and we were under attack a little bit in spring training. Obviously, uh, there was a lot of, uh, uh, not, not a lot of news, so there was a lot of talk about certain players on the roster and certain people's personal lives. And that's always hard when the focus isn't really on the field. Um, but that comes with the territory. If you're in the best baseball market in the country with a passionate fan base, there's always going to be, uh, you know, media sort of firestorms that you got to deal with. Um, but I'm not going to lie to you. That's that's challenging because you feel bad for uh, people. If, anyone, I don't care how thick your skin is, when they're talking about you on the radio or on television, it can be it can be challenging. And uh, it goes with the territory. Don't get me wrong, but that's that's a difficult part of the job. Is there uh, anything that I didn't ask you about that you want to get off your chest? <laughs> No, just uh, give a shout out to uh, Brookline High and obviously Lawrence uh, School <laughs> served you uh, very well and uh, really great to be with you today. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. Really great, you. Thank you. Thank you. You are a melody. I hear you all the time. It really gets to me. It's always on my mind. You are my favorite song. Thanks again to Sam Kennedy for coming on the podcast. I really appreciated his time. Hope you guys enjoyed our conversation. Uh, if this is your first time listening to the show, make sure to head over to iTunes and subscribe and check out some of our previous episodes. Make sure to leave us a rating if you guys do enjoy the show. Uh, and uh, make sure to tell a friend because uh, we're having some pretty great guests on. And uh, if I say so myself. And uh, I think we're having some pretty great conversations as well. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter uh, at BartoloPod. You can follow me on Twitter at I am June Lee. Uh, Sam Kennedy is on Twitter at S Kennedy Socks, S O X. And uh, I think that's it. Next week, we have Trenny Kuznierik of Comcast Sportsnet New England. We, we had a pretty expensive conversation about uh, kind of her rise in the industry and her struggles with depression. And it was a really great and honest conversation. I hope you guys uh, make sure to tune in for that one. And uh, that's it. So until next time, uh, we'll see you guys in the next one. Your love is simple, baby. You've been on my mind since you're watching me. I do it all the time. Since you say you love me, it's just a fire. It's just a fire.